to the Modular Podcast, it's Space Apple today, and obviously the theme of this season is all about sports and mental health, and I think since launching this uh, series in particular, uh, I've been very interested and excited about investigating, you know, other sports, not just your kind of standard, um, you know, popular ones like football and rugby and other things to get a lot of exposure, but some of the different sports and the different sports people um, to see how their sports um, are an outlet for the mental health, also how some of the challenges in those sports have impacted their mental health. So this week I am super excited because we have a globe-trotting day dancer uh, on the show today. So originally from South Africa, growing up, um, and then beginning her dance journey and her early years growing up in the UK, moving to the Royal Ballet School in London, and now as a classical ballet dancer in the Venice State Opera. She's moved around in a lot of different places and has a lot of interesting insights about dancing and dancing culture and the industry as a whole. Um, so today I am delighted to introduce Suzanne to the podcast. Uh, Suzanne, how are you? Hi, thank you for having me. I'm good, thank you. Um, so yes, so as I said, uh, Suzanne, I'm really excited to kind of dive into this whole uh, culture of dancing and ballet because I know as we spoke a little bit before we start recording, um, one of the big things is obviously dancing probably doesn't get the same level of media attention as other sports, but it rightly, and the dancers themselves rightly have very similar challenges to other sports. But uh, before we end, I'd love to get understanding talking, as I said, around lots of different countries, you know, coming up things, uh, how and how transition to dance has been described by our school like academic school would be four hours a day and dancing would be four hours a day so um and actually both sides were very demanding so academic block would you know be ignorant to the workload we had in the ballet okay and the ballet department would be pretty ignorant to the academics side. I mean, both trying to be, you know. Work together, but obviously have their own interests. Yeah, of course, of course. So, I mean, especially the years where we had GCSEs, then obviously the pressure um, in the dancing or the ballet department would be really high because we would have to audition for um, kind of like the A-level level school of ballet, yeah. like the upper school. Um, which is also a next very like very competitive audition process um so yeah it was it was pretty intense we would I mean I was there from Monday to Saturday morning and then from Saturday kind of lunchtime I would arrive home mm -hmm. and then have to leave again Sunday okay. evening yeah. so yeah it was pretty intense but I was in the bubble I was completely mm. you know um just absorbed with the all excitement and I guess not really realizing the effect that it had on my mental health. I thought, you know, this is just what I have to do. This is just what I have to deal with. And obviously, you know, everyone in, you know, you referenced it, uh, uh, the, in this boarding school, everyone is obviously, you know, aiming and aspiring to be a dancer. That's, you know, that's why you're there. Um, and, it was there in Edmonton. I suppose that, you know, school's tough for anyone anyway, going through your teenage years. Um, was there and did that element of competitiveness, obviously there is obviously we're all, you know, dancing together, but there's, I'm sure everyone's aiming to be an elite level dancer. There is a limited number of places and people who can do that. Did that make the kind of pressures of 
transitioning into those teen years, you know, a little bit more difficult because, you know, from friendship perspective, I'm sure you do have friends and I'm sure you still have friends from those times. But was it always challenged because everyone was fighting for the same things quite competitively? Um, I think it's a lot less competitive than people think from the outside, even though it definitely is. I don't think it's as, you know, I mean, especially my year group, we're not necessarily as bitchy as people would think. Mm -hmm. But of course, there was always this element of underlining uh, envy or jealousy that definitely was there, but it was very hard to pinpoint. Only now looking back, I can see, okay, that might have been a bit off or that was probably why this person reacted that way or, you know, but I mean, in the end, I think we were 12 girls, 12 boys, and yeah. we all had the same goal, but we were all, you know, kind of holding on to each other as our family, you know, because you don't have anyone else. These are the people that you, you know, that are there when you're upset or that are there when you're going through these crazy moments and all this pressure that in the end, I think everyone was pretty supportive of each other. Mm. Mm, yeah interesting and the one thing, sorry to interrupt no, the one thing that I think was the hardest though is um I came from being homeschooled and having this very like all this freedom to be who I was and just really I don't know have my own fashion sense and just my own way of doing things and then going into a, a group of girls who had already been together for two years because I joined slightly later um and kind of built this status quo you know how you have to do certain things or how you dress the labels that you wear and how you have your hair and then comes me and I'm like just in my own world and I think that was to get accepted by them to get accepted to this small like tightly knit group mm. I had to really um adapt and change a lot okay interesting and um <clears throat> I think this is what, you know, for people who don't understand, this boarding school is what we call, what you call, what, what's called White Lodge? Yes, yeah. yes. And this is the kind of school connected to the Royal Ballet? Exactly. So, I mean, I think, I think for people to understand, and, you know, maybe, maybe give a little bit more, um, you know, depth, because I think, like you rightly said, growing up in Africa, getting into dancing, there's this kind of element of, freedom of expression, creativity. But the Royal Ballet and these classical ballet schools, you know, there's a certain kind of, you know, there's a certain level or expertise or a certain training style that is associated with that uh, format of ballet. So you go from a young child at an even, you know, home school, that kind of freedom of expression to a very kind of, you know, although it is still an arts discipline, it's a very formulated art discipline and you now have to comply to a certain style structure and historical kind of you know rhythm with how the royal ballet has conducted themselves what was that kind of pressure like as a young child getting into dancing something you've always been passionate about maybe this didn't impact you but was it challenging to kind of you know conform you know in a discipline that would assume freedom of expression it is you know there is a there's quite a tight level of conform conforming to you know that kind of royal ballet structure and that white large experience absolutely absolutely like i like you said i 
came from being this very expressive dancer. You know, that was the first thing that everyone used to say, you know, she's so expressive and she's just, you know, she has, I, I was dancing in my own world and it was um, enchanting to watch, I guess. But then coming to this school where it, it had, everything had like a formula almost, or especially the ballet technique was really the most important thing. And I guess that is a good thing because every dancer needs a solid technical foundation. But in, in the process of trying to improve my technique, I was also kind of made to doubt myself a lot. You know, um, mm. my, my creativity or expression was really like inhibited in a way because I suddenly had to think of all these other things. Like I'm not strong enough. I'm not this enough. Because that's how it was communicated. Like, you are not this enough. You are not that enough. Or this is not good. You're not going to be able to do, to achieve this if this isn't good. Mm. So you kind of always had this in in your head. Like, okay, well, why is that dancer dancing next to me? Why is she getting all the roles or opportunities? Or why is she getting so much attention? So you kind of then have to conform to how they're doing things. or um, compare yourself and it's sometimes things that you can't change you know I can't change the structure of my body I can't change the structure of my feet I can't do that but it's okay it doesn't mean I have to mm. but this kind this was never communicated you know it was either you know you you don't have enough turnout so this isn't good or your jump isn't good enough yeah and I suppose you know when you're a very impressionable child and teenager, um, that can, those kind of criticisms, which I suppose maybe as you get older, you can kind of look back on them in a different light and say, okay, well, I understand how to best respond to that. I understand how to process that. I am a good dancer. You know, when you're an impressionable child who's, you know, you're now, you know, you're dancing with all these other kids, um, you're on the path to elite level dancing must be quite challenging you know and difficult to mentally figure out how to appropriately respond and take on that feedback when as you said it can be quite cutting um in the way it's delivered yeah and also um you know uh, the ballet studio was kind of the place where we were most susceptible to criticism mm. because you're very exposed you know even what we were wearing you know it's a leotard and tights and then you're in these wide studios with mirrors surrounding you. Mm. So you're constantly criticizing how you do certain movements, how you look. And it was never, um, I think, what a school like that lacks is kind of the communication of acceptance. Like you also have to accept yourself in a way. Like you are still an individual. You are still, you know, every dancer there has the potential for to be a, an incredible artist mm. but you know there are still technical things that have to be worked on that's fair enough it's like with any sports like with anything but it, the balance was never there of like you are still beautiful the way you are and i don't mean that in like you know that everyone has to look at themselves yeah. in the mirror and say you're beautiful yeah. you know but just an acceptance no yeah yeah Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, it's 
it's difficult because obviously the people are trying to, there's only a certain number of places that people can get to once they get to adulthood to dance at that elite level. So there's a constant kind of level of assessment. Um, and um, <clears throat> But I think maybe in today's world, we're becoming a little bit more aware of, you know, these are still kids and there is an element of, we've got to balance the assessment with, okay, understand that, everything you say has a bigger impact on them than if it was an adult <clears throat> and it impacts them longer term in a different way. Um, and I'm sure you, because obviously we spoke a little bit about how you have your blog and <clears throat> what I found, uh, what I really like is how you've covered a lot of these different dance topics and the kind of not so sexy sides of the dance world and what your vi version or your experience of it was, which I think is great. You covered this white lodge experience, you know, I'm sure, and there are lots of dance schools, and so I'm, I'm sure, I'm not sure how similar or different they are in different countries or different, you know, with different um, dance schools. But from your perspective, how do you think into the, do you think that model of the White Lodge, that kind of intense kind of culture of dancing and maybe, you know, how it's structured, and I know you cover that in your blog, but just for for us here today, do you think that model still works as a dance school for kids in the early days as you're kind of developing a future elite dancers? Do you think it's a, a good model? Would you, would you change it? Or, you know, do you think it just, you know, it works, but it just may be kind of small things? I think, yeah, good question. I don't think I have a concrete answer. I think it's mm. a, something that I have thought about, but I think it'll be a developing concept um i think just for practical reasons the fact that it's a boarding school i mean you have kids coming from all over the uk mm. um some even international so the boarding school situation has to stay um i just think that there definitely needs to be more support regarding you know how to communicate with that because i do think that both can coexist the technical aspect the really you know rigorous training i think that can definitely coexist um but also this kind of like to take care of okay how are dancers feeling or how are they how are they interpreting their environment um because it is it is like you say it's very competitive but i do, do still think that if you have dancers who come out of the school with at least some self-confidence and self, some self-worth, then you are you are going to get more successful artists or people if they don't continue dancing yeah. uh, because they have at least a better self-esteem. Um, so I do think, you know, that the tools need to be given mm -hmm. or, you know, um, whether that's on a kind of holistic level or just as from... Uh, psychologists or you know um, mental health advisors um, and even have the teachers seeing therapists I guess and I, I mean that in the best possible way I mean that as like you know the teachers also have to be in a good place because it's the same as parents if a parent has issues it's also going to translate or um, manifest into the way the child is growing up mm. and it's exactly the same in the in a school Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's uh it's kinda like, you know, for people in the space of dancing, they're going through the same challenges any other young person goes through, except they've got all this other stuff where they're just trying to maintain an education, which is what everyone else is, and then try and, you know, 
uh, practice elite level dancing on a consistent basis with like a competitive nature and then your dreams are kind of and it, it's challenging I suppose because the as you said the dancing at least in your perspective and I'm sure it's the same everyone who takes part in dancing uh, uh, at that level but anyone really I suppose it began as a kind of a passion as a dream as you know as a young kid boy or girl who really wanted to become a dancer to then transition into okay now it's quite serious and you know technical and there's a potential career at the end of this it takes on another form that hobby and passion is not just a hobby and passion it, it might be your future um can put a lot of strain and so you know there is a def sec a secondary kind of focus that maybe these schools and you know governments or whatever should be aware of that it's a it's a lot of pressure on a young person's shoulders that there should be some services there to support yeah and i also think that the this whole thing of okay it, for some people it will become a future but it's also okay if it doesn't yeah and i think that was also lacking um i think we always had the pressure at least this is how i felt it mm. that okay if i don't get to this point in the dance world or this level or this with this kind of status as prima ballerina or whatever then i have failed or if i don't achieve this kind of role then i have let them down yeah and i think that was very hard for many students who for example didn't get a place then in the upper school who went somewhere else yeah um, that they had failed and it was it absolutely does not mean that at all. I mean, my brother didn't get to the upper school. He also went through White Lodge, same as I did. He went to English National Ballet School, and now we're in the same company. Yeah. His path was slightly different, but we, we ended up in the same place. Yeah. So it does not mean that if you don't follow that path that all the teachers, you know, said, you know, if you don't do this, you won't get into the, the school. Or, I don't know. Um, just kind of that talk. Yeah, it is unnecessary pressure. It's yeah. really unnecessary pressure. I think if the focus was more like the here and now, do what you what you feel you want to do now. Enjoy every moment. Stop thinking about. Obviously, have your goals. That's mm. we all need our goals, but we forget sometimes. We're so blindsided by what it is that we're achieve want, want to achieve or feel that we should achieve that we forget the present moment and to really just enjoy the dancing aspect of it. Yeah. That's why you got into it in the first place. I mean, if at any point you just turn around and go, I'm not enjoying this and this feels like a strain or it feels like, you know, that I'm just doing it for the sake of doing it, well, then you've lost probably the root of why you got into it in the first place. And you probably aren't as good a dancer, probably, if that's your feeling when you're going out there to perform. Exactly. And... And and I think you're right. I think I think that's something that you know all sports, all elite level sports, um, maybe have a habit of um, you know bringing in a lot of young people with uh, aspiring dreams and ambitions to achieve something in the sport, and then pick the best few and spit out the rest at times and can kind of leave in nearly in all cases. I'd say it's nearly in all cases when it comes to elite sport, they leave a lot of uh, young people a little bit kind of vulnerable and their dreams in tatters a little bit because not 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 their fault but they've been told that if they don't achieve this it doesn't mean anything all that work for all those years doesn't mean anything and i think that's something that is shared across all sports and it's i'm sure it is exactly no different in ballet um 
But then if you do happen to make it, and I think this is one that's, you know, it's harder for people to comprehend. I mean, it's easy for people to say, oh, there's a career if you're a very high level football player because you see it on TV all the time. Um, how challenging or how difficult is it to transition into a career as a full-time uh, dancer at an elite level? Um, obviously, as you said, there is the process of going from White Lodge, at least in Royal Valley, into the upper school, and that's one route, and then your brother took a different route. But how challenging is it in general for dancers to make a living or to make a career in dancing? Because I think it's it, it's definitely one that involves just as much work as other sports, but probably doesn't have the same funding and financial opportunities just as a career to keep uh, to make a living you know how how was that transition or was it difficult um well i think obviously the, the the audition process when you're in your final year at school can be very taxing um because there are only a certain amount of dance companies in the world and then you also have to think which i think a lot of dancers maybe neglect it's like do i want to live in that country do i want to live in that city um because I feel that, you know, you have to be happy as a person first, where you're living, where you go home to every night. And um, that can that can also play a huge role on mental health. Um, so I, I have to say in this respect, I was very lucky that I only had to do two auditions before I was offered a contract. And that that's no measure on like how good of a dancer I am. That was just lucky that the place where... I wanted to go and where I, I guess was, I was meant to go, um, was the second audition that I had. Mm. Um, my brother, for example, I use him as an example. Um, he did so many auditions until he got his first contract, which was actually first in Estonia. Um, on the plus side, he got to see the world and see mm. so many different cool places. So I, I always like to say, you know, use, if you if you don't get the audition it's fine it doesn't mean anything it just mean that wasn't the place for you but at least you can go see this amazing city and mm. experience that um but then actually the actual transition into a company um i have to say i think it took me a second <laughs> it took me a hot minute to really you know adapt to company life because i was so programmed into this student mentality yeah. and to then allow myself then a company does give you much more freedom to be who you are. But I had to kind of refine that person that I was before I went to the ballet school. I had to try and find her again because yeah. I was completely uh, in this box of being a student. Um, and I, I do think like I, I, I was in the company for one season before I had my uh, knee injury, which took me out for a whole season. I think only then did I really start to to get out of that student mentality to really discover who I was again and who I uh, it's still an ongoing process, but that was definitely the seed was planted. Um, but yeah, I guess in general for most students, it is a, a big um, it is a big jump because you're suddenly dancing the whole day or some days you aren't involved in rehearsals and you still have to kind of keep yourself busy or in shape or sometimes you're not involved in a production um so you have to be self-disciplined to you know keep working on yourself and for yourself um you also just have the fact that you have to be an adult suddenly you have to 
pay bills you have to mm. go home and clean your own apartment and it's things like that that take a while to feel like you're settled yeah and i think there you have to realize the focus becomes more about who you are as an individual and as an adult and and an artist and what you bring to the company rather than what you know what you have to do as a student mm. if that makes sense yeah no it does i think uh you're still expected to perform at that high level like you did throughout your uh, student life, but you don't have the same sort of boundaries and rules and people telling you, you have to be here, here, here. There is that element, obviously, if you're part of a rehearsal, but suddenly there's a bit of self-control around it. And that's different. I mean, because obviously a lot of people would say, wow, the opportunity to do a career in the arts is like the dream for so many because it's so, it, you know, it's a, it, it normally is formed out of a passion, a dream, a love for a certain art form. Um, and then getting to do that as a career, it, was it hard to then combine the idea that this is still your passion and your love, but it now is also your job? And so to be able to still have that love and passion with the stress of obviously maintaining that level and, as you said, working on yourself, training on yourself because you're part of this company now and you have certain expectations, is is that hard to kind of right size in your head or does that just kind of come natural because it's just the way things are done? Um, yeah, it does kind of come natural in a way, but I do also, I would be the first person to admit that I don't wake up every morning super excited to go to work, you know? Mm that's when the job level comes in you're like okay well this is my job yeah um it's not glamorous every day at all um and i think once i admitted that to myself because i think there's the student mentality going back to that again it's always you have to you know be so grateful or so you know for everything you know but and to be able to do this as a job but then you're also very susceptible to being taken for granted or to be you know kind of I don't know it's, it's again then also coming into the whole injury aspect you have to be so grateful to be where you are that sometimes you neglect yourself and say okay well um i will push through the pain mm. um because i was wondering why dancers do that and i do think that is it is a big part is that they don't want to disappoint or look weak or you know but at the end of the day i'm going to work i'm getting paid for what i'm doing if i'm in pain I'm not going to do it. Mm. And as soon as I could have admit to myself, you know, this is my job and I am my own person. I'm my own brand, I guess. Mm. If I'm not feeling in shape, then I'm not going to put myself on stage because at the end of the day, I'm the one being seen. They're the ones getting the money for the tickets. To put it as bluntly as yeah. that, you yeah. have to look at it like that because so many people are going on stage popping how many ibuprofens or taping their knees together for what at the end of the day is that it's a self-gratification mm. but it's yeah. not it's it's not yeah you're not gonna disappoint anyone if you don't yeah yeah, yeah. no I, th I think i think that's uh i think that's something that a lot of sports people struggle with is this idea that uh it is your job but you're body and your athleticism is what you use to perform your job but if you push yourself too hard because you're afraid to disappoint you know it can be you know you can push yourself to to a point where you get a more serious injury and then ultimately you won't be able to perform anyway uh it, it that takes a lot of awareness i think and i think i suppose 
over time you then adjust to becoming more confident in your own ability and in your own self-worth and can go actually I'm not going to force myself into this and it's hard I mean I'm uh, I need to sometimes practice what I preach as well because I'm I mean only recently I had a, a, a kind of a back spasm or something just kind of moved out of place and I I mean it was difficult because I also wanted to do the performance it's mm. it's sometimes it is like that it's not that you want to say oh okay well you know you guys carry on I'm gonna take a break it's sometimes that you really want to do that performance and you just have to be like you say mindful and think okay well to what extent can I push my body and for who am I doing it? Am I doing it for myself or am I doing it to prove something? Mm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the question I always ask myself. Yeah. And, and, and you touched on one and I think there's two big themes or big two topics regarding mental health and dancing that I just want to touch on. I know you've spoken about them um, in your blog um, like your experiences from White Lodge and um, First one really is injury. And I think this is one that, you know, people forget. And we talked about this as well before we started recording around. Dancing is a very athletic, heavy discipline as much as it is a very uh, visual and beautiful discipline as an art. There is also a huge amount of athleticism involved with a huge amount of athleticism comes injury. Um, Same as anyone else. What is that like? And you have touched on forcing yourself into doing things maybe sometimes because you feel you have to and then other times because you don't want to miss out on a performance. Recovering from injury, what's that like? And I mean, do you have physios in a company or is there a kind of a, or is that just all kind of done yourself? I don't know how that works. Um, This is another heavy topic for me. (laughs) Uh, So... Uh, yeah, at the moment in Vienna, that's something that um, still needs a lot of work on to have the, the support within the house, within the company. Um, unfortunately, that is something that is lacking. And um, I'll just put it out there that I would love to improve that in the future. Um, I was very fortunate when I had my injury um, about, I think, six years ago already now. Um, that I still had family living in the UK and because due to my injury I needed uh, to have surgery and I would not have been able to live alone I was on crutches for 10 weeks so you can imagine that I would have needed quite a a bit of assistance Mm. so I did move back home for um, a good year and I had incredible rehab uh, like an incredible rehab team and program um, and physiotherapy as well so that's really where I learned how important a good rehabilitation is and how important that whole um, yeah, physical health is for dancers, whether that's pre-injury, like to prevent injuries and to help improve performance and for rehabilitation. So, um, yeah, I did a really intense rehab process. I was in the gym about four times a week minimum. Um, and because of that now I've never had problems with my knee again so I always say to any of my colleagues who get injured and who have to take three months off firstly enjoy it enjoy some rest (laughs) enjoy some time out and really use your time wisely to you know to do a proper rehab and 
to learn from that as well because I learned so much I felt like a different person with like that I always went to school for a year mm -hmm. <laughs> so I learned so much um so I think if your rehab is good then the coming back into a, the ballet studio scenario is a lot easier um I wasn't allowed to do a ballet class for a good nine months mm -hmm. I wasn't allowed to stretch nothing uh and my first ballet class I was pleasantly surprised at how easy things were coming back mm. just because I did the right training to keep the muscles going at the end of the day you know you're whether you do you work your glutes in the gym you're also you're working them in a ballet class maybe in a slightly different way but the muscles are still activated yeah so I think if um that's why that aspect is so important for dancers as well because it makes the coming back into the studio where you're not um you don't have the control that you have with a trainer in a physio room or in a gym yeah. you you can't control how many repetitions you do of mm -hmm. things so as long as you can have a good foundation there the coming back into a studio when you're suddenly on your own you know we have the teacher in the class every day giving a class but they're not going to focus they're not going to take time and focus on your placement or you know what are you doing to kind of get back in the safest healthiest way they don't really care <laughs> yeah yeah um it's up to you at that point okay so yeah and what is it like you know trying to mentally maintain optimism particularly for more serious injuries i'm sure obviously you have your own experiences um and then i'm sure you've witnessed um colleagues and friends in the industry who've had to deal with not being out of dancing for a period of time what's that aspect like mentally and is there stuff that you you now know or you you did at your time or you now know you would do if you were in the same situation again from a mental health perspective because i think from all athletes um it's one of the toughest parts is being you know out out of your sport for a period of time because you cannot perform um yeah it's horrible it's really um no way in of sugarcoating that one um i i took my injury very hard um because it because of the extent of it you know it was kind of 50 50 would i be able to go back to dancing or not mm -hmm. um and at that point i was still you know going back to the student mentality i was very much still in that frame and i'd never had to deal with an injury up until then um so for me the the crisis usually is that you realize how much you identify with dance mm -hmm. and that the, i think that's the biggest thing for dancers is that then once they're taken out of their environment they're questioning well who are they really without having that every day mm -hmm. um i guess that even comes into play in a short with a smaller injury um smaller meaning like a less recovery time yeah I think that always somehow slightly comes into play um and then seeing you know your colleagues from the outside what they're doing they're still continuing they're still progressing maybe some are getting opportunities because you've dropped out yeah um, so maybe a tip if if anyone would like advice on that is just don't look at social media i blocked all my colleagues on facebook <laughs> because i couldn't bear i couldn't bear it for me it was it was horrible mm. um have someone that you can kind of talk to or you know express these feelings and 
just get an outsider's perspective. You know, I, I was lucky that I had my mom who really put things into perspective again for me, even though she probably had to do that on a daily basis mm. for me. Um, and then I think it's also so valuable to find something that you can put your attention on. Mm. Um, something else that's, you know, whether that's a, a hobby or you, you know, just learn something or, you know, yeah. because then you feel like the time's not wasted. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I do just think it's the main thing why it's so difficult is because I guess athletes as well, you start to identify with that sport and without that, you kind of question, well, who and what are you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it, because you identify and if you've been doing it for that long, so much of your character and personality is tied up with the sport. It uh, When you take the sport away, you're like, do I still exist? Of course you do. But uh that's, I suppose, that's a challenge. And is there an encouragement within the industry these days? Is there a, a change towards people doing therapy or looking at the mental health side of things a little bit more? Um, or is that still something that's very much done kind of on an individual basis, depending on the person? Yeah, I can't really speak from um, like all the companies. Uh, I know it's been mentioned that there is a therapist available at work, but um I think dancers amongst themselves are um, opening up more about whether they're seeing a therapist or not, for yeah. example. So I think it's more on an individual level. Mm. Um, I would love to see schools normalizing it and not just being like, oh, she's gone to see a therapist or, yeah. oh, like um, I, I was sent to a nutritionist and it was the biggest secret. You know, how can I slip away to go yeah. and, and see the nutritionist? Um, so I think if, if that, should just be normalized mm. um but speaking from my current situation it's not really something that's uh i guess encouraged or talked about much okay in the company environment okay so yeah still, still a little way to go and i think um the other thing i was curious about and i'm sure you you have thoughts on it um and i think it is probably the go-to kind of topic when people think dancing and mental health is this whole area around body image and eating disorders and i know that's you know because it, like with anything i think sports in general um pushes people towards a you know a desired physique a desired level of athleticism which ultimately means things like body image and then eating disorders are sometimes created or um kind of inflated uh, in people's heads what what's your experience uh, regarding that or from what you've witnessed or experienced in the dancing world regarding body image and eating disorders well i've experienced it myself yeah um and i i have thought a lot about what it was that triggered it because it was it, it wasn't just the ballet school i think because then it did trickle into my adult life as well so I realized that actually it's something much deeper. And that's why, you know, it's it it does happen a lot in the ballet school, but I feel like it's sometimes on a much less intense level. Like some girls would maybe make comments about their bodies or restrict what they're eating, but it wouldn't go into like a full-blown mental health issue. Mm. As I mean, it does happen. I mean, I definitely feel like I dropped down a bit too deep into it. Um but probably for it was a coping mechanism. It was, you know, something I could control or yeah. um, it was something that I guess 
deep down I never felt good enough or worthy enough and having that to control or to then get comments for like oh you look so skinny or whatever it's it sounds really like saying it now it sounds really messed up but it it was like that you know um because body image it was always seen as an ideal to be so skinny mm -hmm. so in many people's heads it was that kind of a underlining goal yeah. and then I achieved that and I got comments from it mm. so for me it was like okay that's that's me that's my thing yeah um but I do think it comes from like on a much more personal level and I think everyone has ways of dealing with with trauma from their younger years um even maybe before they even started dancing but because dancing can make you so susceptible to your emotions and your deeper I don't know psyche I guess um if you don't know how to go deep and figure out what your triggers are or what your um traumas were Mm -hmm. then that's the easiest way to deal with it and some people turn to alcohol some people turn to restrictive eating some people turn to overeating and my way was just restricting I guess mm. but I also think it's it's lack of knowledge and education from a young age like I remember distinctly this one ballet class where I was looking at a a, a girl in my class who had this incredible jump and I used to think, well, why can't I jump as much as her, as high as her? Maybe it's because I'm too heavy. She looks skinnier than me, so she must be lighter to get into the air. And that was my that was my mm. logic. Then later on, learn learning about you know your body and muscles and your physical structure and everything. I learned how important muscles are for jumping. Yeah. And there was I like completely depleting my muscles from energy just to think that's going to get me off the off into the air. Yeah. And I was just, yeah, completely and, backward. I'm curious because obviously these thoughts aren't just your own. They're probably shared by a lot of people. And as you rightly said, there's this element of I want to be skinnier to fit a certain look. But then you're doing a very intense um athletic discipline that requires muscles and strength to actually perform it so it's kind of counterintuitive is there maybe there wasn't then is there becoming maybe you don't know this but an awareness amongst the teachers and you know the leaders of these schools is there awareness of these thoughts in young people and trying to better address and frame things a little bit better obviously um you may have seen that change throughout your time through school and now into the company in Vienna, but is there a bit more of an awareness in the industry around just this is this is the stuff that goes through people's heads? I mean, people know that, you know that. How do we make sure we get young people thinking in the right way so they don't kind of like, you know, self-destruct with these kind of internal thoughts? Yeah, I think, I mean, since I started my um, Instagram page, um, I, and I hope it's not just happening within the social media bubble, but I've definitely seen so many people speaking about it and um, also, you know, pages who are who are giving information, like correct information, um, whether that's scientifically based or not, um, just kind of raising awareness and opening up the conversation and normalizing the conversation. Um, and I think I think the problem that we had when we were at school is that teachers had to be very careful what they say to dancers 
So I've I heard comments being given to dancers, for example, you need to tone up, which generally just meant, you know, you need to probably do some physical exercise to get stronger, to not necessarily go and starve yourself. Mm. But that was the only way that we as dancers could interpret it because we didn't know any better. So I think teachers had to be very careful what they say. Also, a teacher once did say to me that I need to be careful because I look far too skinny and I, you know, but she said, but I'm not allowed to tell you this. It has to come from the top. Mm. Now, if the top, the person that whoever's at the top decides that it's okay for them, they're not going to say anything, then I'm left in the dark. You know, I'm left thinking what I'm doing is fine. Mm. So I think um, teachers should just be taught the right vocabulary, the right way to communicate things. Um, and yeah, and then if if they do notice someone who, I, you can tell if someone has a problem, a much deeper problem mentally regarding eating and their body image, than to take them aside but with so much compassion and with care rather than you know you're doing something really wrong or there's yeah. something wrong with you you know yeah yeah i think i think what's interesting is that actually seems to be a theme throughout the conversation we've had this season with sports people it seems to be a theme that you know coaches and teachers in each of these different sports and um, no matter the sport no matter the level coaches and teachers are geared towards getting the best from a athletic performance out of their uh, the young people and getting them to perform the sport very well but there's a huge responsibility on these coaches and teachers because they are developing young people at a very crucial time in their development and they're not and it's not their fault they're not taught and prepared to deal with the emotional side of these young people and how, as you said, to phrase things in the right way, what vocabulary to use. It's not their fault. They're not trained. They're not psychologists. But I think it's a, it's a whole area of young sporting development that people don't recognize the emphasis and the pressures that these coaches have and the actual quite crucial part of a young person's life they're responsible for and probably do need better support and development from the people behind them to empower them to be able to better support these children because they can tell you all about the dancing and all the different techniques and then now they're expected to talk about a young person's like emotional state their eating you know how they view themselves their body image that's a lot of stuff for a teacher to have to understand and so it's probably goes back to you know what are the people at the top doing to support these coaches and teachers with the right information and the right kind of resources to be able to better support these kids because you know, you're dealing with them throughout their teenage years, which everyone knows is a hugely, you know, kind of impressionable period. Yeah, or just to integrate another member of staff, for example, who, or I guess to call them another teacher or coach who coach on the mental side, you know, mm -hmm. and the psychological side and not just, I mean, I do remember we had a mental psychologist coming in or a performance psychologist, but, you know, I think it was once a term and then he spoke in front of the whole school about the generalization of you know sports psychology mm. um so i do think if it if it just becomes a more of a normal thing in a school if it's taught if the tools are there maybe i don't know to teach students how to meditate i mean i what i've learned from meditation or just kind of uh kind of a more holistic 
way to approach my work, um, I think I would have been a much different dancer from a younger age. Mm. And maybe it's maybe it's too much for young dancers to understand to really comprehend it, but at least the tools are there. Yeah. You know, and it, when whenever they're ready at their own individual maturity, then it will kick in and it would mm. just be much, hopefully much easier to deal with everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And um, so before before we finish, uh, and this may you may have already answered this. It's a good segue into this question, but uh, uh, I was kind of curious about where you see dancing going ballet dancing as a as a sport as a discipline into the you know currently how do you think it's developing but where would you like to see the future of dancing or what change would you like to see come into the into the sport you know now that you've seen quite a quite, quite a long um experience through education and then into um dancing as a career um i would like to see the dance world less ignorant to mm. other influences whether that's other artistic influence actually no more sport influences to learn more from the sports science to help our physical bodies i think yeah i think um artistically you know as dancers we are integrating a lot just naturally into the world of dance whether that's from music or art or, or whatever um but the sports side of things the athletic side of things the mental health side of things to really just um accept that they have a place in the dance world that that especially i think ballet is still in its own little bubble in that respect maybe contemporary dancers are really embracing this you know this more modern way of thinking mm -hmm. i think classical ballet and in, in there are companies who are doing extremely well on this um but there are still many companies who are far far too behind and um schools as well so to really learn from sports that's where the money is at the moment that's where all the research is being done and whether you're a footballer or a dancer you have knees you have hips you have glutes you have calves you have ankles everyone has them it's just that we use them in a different way but ballet is not um so unique that we can't learn from what other people are doing for yeah. example yeah no no i agree i think you're right i think you know if you see the injuries that ballet dancers pick up they're relatable to all other sports people so really there shouldn't be um it shouldn't be and it's a difficult one because obviously ballet is such a traditional historical discipline it's maybe just takes a little bit of time for those traditionalists to think well it's not diminishing the beauty of the art to just take some advice from these other sports that as you said have the resources to put in to put in this research and um, one last question uh was if you were able to kind of control you know if you had a kind of magic wand and could you know could make one slight change to kind of how young people are educated um today or if you could go back and talk to your younger self um to give a piece of advice um you know what would that be from your you know, experiences as a dancer or it could be just your experiences in life um what would you sort of like to pass back on to the kind of younger people coming into kind of teenage years um as a, a piece of it could be about how to educate them better or just in general how to prepare them better well aside from everything i mentioned about the kind of physical health you know you know 
whether it's injuries, mental health, all of that stuff, the way teachers uh, speak to the, the students, how the whole setup is and everything. I think it's so important for young people to not identify as dancers, to really, to still have the freedom to be young, to be kids, to, to discover their own personalities, their own other interests. And it doesn't mean that other interests are gonna kind of deviate from their, let them deviate from their goals. It just means it's just, they're enriching themselves. You know, you're, you're, you might get inspiration from something completely different. You might just get some self-confidence from, from doing another sport um, or from learning something. I don't know whether that's a musical instrument or, but enjoy life and dance because you love it. And that should be communicated, not, you know, dance because this is the be all and end all, you know, life around you is, is insignificant. It's just about ballet. And unfortunately, I think I fell into that trap many times. I'm lucky to have a, a, a mum who's very normal, who's never this ballet mum. So she always kind of picked me up if I was too falling too deep into this hole. But I do think that would have helped me in many ways and my self-confidence as well, just to know that there's a, this beautiful world outside of the dance world um, and that you can be grateful that you can dance, you know, to that level or in, as a job or as a elite hobby, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, I think uh, that is one, a great piece of advice, but a very valid one to most young people, not to just whatever their kind of passion is, try not to identify with that as a be all and end all because then as you said if something like an injury or something happens you can be a little bit lost if that is your your identity but I think although you said you went through your own challenges I think definitely what you're doing with your social media on Instagram and then with your blog to kind of give a lens to the experiences and the person behind the dancer like we've said that trying to break down that separation between the really accomplished dancer on stage and the audience member that they can learn that this is dancers a real person at the end of the day who has real challenges and has other interests and isn't just a dancer and then goes into a little box and it comes out of that little box again to do the next dance and they do have a life outside of that I, I do think that audiences need to relate with us as dancers same as the way that they relate to their favorite team their sports team or favorite athlete or yeah, I mean, or even actors, mm. you know. Um, I think that would probably, in the long run, attract more audiences. And it would also, you know, if dancers are also taken care of better, or they're happier, or they're just kind of also happy in life and experience life experiences, they're going to project something so much stronger and so much more inspirational, I guess, which the audience can relate to. Mm. yeah no I agree I agree so um so I, th that's kind of everything for me I really want to deeply deeply thank you Suzanne for coming on because it definitely has been one I know it took us a couple of times to get it to get this kind of call set up but I, I have been and have really enjoyed it but have been super excited about having it because I just think you know for me I just find learning from people from an area that I am not an expert or don't have a huge amount of information on it's just very 
one, it's super interesting to see what though that life experience is and to learn um, about something that I don't know anything about. But then it's also reassuring to know that, as we said, there's a, maybe a different sport or a different activity that um, you do versus what I do or someone else does. The same challenges apply and the same kind of life difficulties and the same pressures and mental issues apply. And I think that means for all of us, we're all still human beings. We may all do very different things, but we're all very similar in ways. And I think that's certainly um, been clear from the conversation, but also just really, really insightful to learn about the kind of backgrounds to a dancing career. Um, obviously, we've mentioned a couple of times your own social media and you have that blog, which I think for me was super interesting just to get a lens on some of these more detailed topics um, from a life of a dancer. Uh, would there be any other, if there was someone who, you know, a young boy, girl or anyone listening who wanted to kind of either get into dancing or learn more about it, um, would there be any other resources you'd point people towards? Well, off the top of my head, I can't quite pinpoint exact resources, but I think on on um, Instagram these days, there are so many people who are uh, speaking out and, and telling their stories. Um, just, you know, I mean, Instagram can also be in a way toxic for dancers because some dancers are also just showing off what they're doing of a, you know, on a very small scale so just maybe some pictures that look very impressive and that can be very difficult for young dancers to then look at and compare themselves so just be mindful of who you're following on instagram and that whatever content is out there is is good for you or that you can resonate with or really learn from mm -hmm. rather than using as like a comparison yeah i think i i i'm so grateful i didn't grow up in in that yeah. era to have social media as well yeah um so yeah and just i think just keep being curious um i get a lot of inspiration from books or from other athletes not necessarily from dancers because i feel that it's like you say we're, we're all going through the same things but sometimes an athlete from a different sport has a outlook or a just something they say that I just really click with and think, oh my God, yeah, that's so true. And um, yeah, I don't know, just stay curious. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's great. I appreciate it. And what we'll do is we definitely will uh, <coughs> link your blog uh, in the show notes because I think for anyone who just wants a little bit, uh, an idea of under the hood about uh, dancing life and, uh, you know, dancing schools and things. I think it's just a great resource. I got a lot out of just reading it um, as someone who doesn't have a background in it to learn about it. But um, as I said, Suzanne, thanks again for joining. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. I uh, got a lot out of it and I'm sure anyone listening uh, will get a lot out of it. So um, really appreciate it. Thanks again. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you.